Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about God the Father, and we brought in a very special guest for this. His name is Father Kyle Mano. He is a priest of the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois. You may recognize him because he was in a video that went viral a few months back. It was him, another priest, and a bishop, and they were doing carpool karaoke on the way to what I think was a youth ministry conference. So he has some really profound things to say about our relationship with God the Father. Uh, also, I want to remind you that this is actually going to be our last episode of the season before we go on hiatus for the summer. Uh, if you didn't listen a couple podcasts ago, I was explaining that uh, my wife, uh, Kim, is going to be having our second child, and I'm going to be on paternity leave, plus uh, summer courses and all the busyness that we have here at the Liturgical Institute in the summer just does not allow us to get our schedules right for Chris Dennis and I to get together. So we decided to take a short break during the summer, but we expect to be back towards the end of the summer, and as soon as we know... We will post that on the Liturgical Institute Facebook page, and we will tweet it from our Twitter account. So, without further ado, episode 47 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. I only no. listen to Liturgy Guys at the gym. Oh, man. And I listened I mean, to 10, and then I was like, that's enough. <laughs> what? You only did 10 reps? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you went one through 10? No, I started with Beauty and the Beast. Feast. The same the feast. If you're going to say the titles, you should say the correct titles. Okay. I spent a lot of time I making, can tell. Up, making he, up fake names. He used to ask me for input on those. and then all I, did, notes. all I did was slow him down, so he just goes around. Left them in my dust. Which I'm really okay with. Left them in the dust. How often should I cough? Uh, well, you're Chris, so yes, as, often, should cough a lot. as often as you want. Well, you guys didn't tell me what you were talking about. We are talking about... God the Father and relation to liturgy. All right, so yep. we should probably mention that uh, Chris is not here this week. Um, we booted him out of the. Well, yeah, we're trying to find so many different ways to get him off of this podcast and get other people on. So we have Father <laughs> Kyle Mano. How much am I getting paid? Um, little to nothing. Okay. I will give you a pat on the back later. Now that I know. Yeah, one pat. You are doing one pat's worth of work. And Father Kyle knew me when he was a seminarian, and he knows me as D Mac for D for Dennis. Mac, Mac, Mac for McDonald's. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So if you hear him call me D Mac, I'm still the same guy. I always the was. Burger King. The, yeah, he is the Burger King. Crouchy, that's, annoying, that's why we call him unpredictable D-Mac. and stupid. So <laughs> here I am. Well, um, Father Kyle, you just were ordained last year. Is that correct? Yes, June fourth last year. And for the Diocese of Joliet. No, no, Diocese of Rockford. Rockford. That's right. Yeah, okay. Sorry. Big difference. The Rock. Big difference of the it. world, and and where are you located now for your first uh, assignment? I'm at St. Patrick's in St. Charles, Illinois. I'm familiar with that. I, I grew up in Aurora, so they were always our enemy. No, yeah, not too far. <laughs> yeah, not too far. Uh, and then uh, before we get started, you do uh, have a podcast for your homilies that we wanted to uh, make sure our listeners could listen to. Where can they find that? Um, if you just go to the podcast app, wherever you want to find it, you type in St. Patrick Catholic Church, pull right on up. All right, St. Patrick Catholic Church. And despite his youth and inexperience, as Ronald Reagan said, fire, on fire, on fire. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord works. Oh, that's gr- that's excellent. So, uh, yeah, we didn't just invite him here because he's a friend. Hold on, that helps. Yeah. He's a friend who the Holy Spirit is just cooking man just on we're trying i decrease with the love of god the father in particular Mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things we you know that i particularly wanted to talk about and invite father kyle because he's very good on on that and among other things it's because the father's sort of the forgotten guy you know he's like hanging around in the in his study by the fire saying i wish my children would come talk to me and hardly anybody ever does yeah, I mean, and we, we have that father image of Joseph, and he literally says nothing in the entire Bible. <laughs> and so um, there's a little bit of that element there, too. 
And yet, in the, like the central heart of the Christian mystery is Jesus was sent so that people had access to the Father. There's all those things about the Father sent me, the Father and I are one, he who has seen me has seen the Father, that kind of stuff. And you know, where do we do all that? You know, we go to Mass and we're, oh, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. I get the Eucharist, is confected. Nothing wrong with that. Like, we want to have the real presence of Jesus, but it doesn't end there. Right. And uh, do you have some particular insight in that? Yeah, I think often... It's very common that we say the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person of the Trinity, but I think also often at times, especially in Mass, we forget that the person we're primarily speaking to is God as Father. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes in liturgy in particular, the Eucharistic prayer is not addressed to the people in the pews, right? We've talked about this before. It's an anamnetic remembering, so making real by remembering, and that prayer is said to God the Father, hey, Father, mm-hmm. remember your son came? Remember your son said this? Remember he said this is my body, you know, giving it for you? We kind of think we're saying it to ourselves as if we, the priest is telling us, but actually we, the priest, lay people, are telling the Father. Yes, yeah, so there are very few times, probably less than 10 times, that I actually look at the people during the Mass. Most of the Mass, I am looking up to the Father, speaking those prayers to him with the people. Wow, I never really thought about that. I mean, yeah, we did talk about that, you know, on an earlier podcast. But from the priest perspective, we we had Father Connor Danstrom on here, and mm-hmm. he gave us a little insight on that. But um, that's where we kind of dived into this a little more, where it's really not a dialogue in a sense that it's you just as a guy talking to a bunch of people in in the pews. It's us together talking to right. God the Father. In fact, if it was me, just a guy, nothing would happen. We yeah. would be play acting. We would not be entering into a sacrifice. Well, then I guess sometimes people think of the liturgy as just that, where we're just uh, doing this thing that we've been doing a while, and it's the longest running show on Broadway. It's the right. it, we're remembering <laughs> by remembering we're not actually doing. We're just you know putting on this uh, perception of what it was. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just this happened a long time ago, isn't it cool to remember? It's this happened a long time ago, and we're making all the effects of it that are real a long time ago real Mm -hmm. now. Not a representation, a representation. Right. And that's a big that's a big difference. I think especially in these days, you know, God the Father, I think in the secular world is kind of seen as a, the biggest bully in the sky. That is the fundamental flawed premise of the new atheists is that God is a bully. Father or Bishop Barron talks about this all the time that if you think God is the supreme being, which is the enlightenment kind of deus sense, then he's just the strongest bully on the block. Mm-hmm. If God is love itself, who sent a son to give you access to love itself, that's a whole different thing altogether. He's never a threat because love wills your good. And if your good is being willed, like that can't hurt you by definition. And also we have this image of, um, I, I've heard, you know, Abba, Father, Abba, you know, being more like of what we would say, Daddy. is what I don't know if that's incorrect, but I've heard yeah. some people, people say that. People argue about whether that's actually They daddy, say that. But it's a familiar term for sure. Yeah. In fact, when I was going over to Israel, a guy on the plane, a Jewish man, had a hat and it said, world's greatest Abba. On his oh. hat. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're so used to oh, calling God. You didn't see the last word. It said fan. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know the band? All the way back. To, is that like Keystone Cops? That's yeah. before my time. Uh, I wasn't born I'm yet. Surpri- I'm surprised you know that. Yeah. Obscure Swedish, Swedish bands from the 80s. Is, yeah. Well, I'm the king of obscure. <laughs> that's actually where it stops for me. But anyway. Right. But anyway, you know, God, the father is the source in a sense, you know, he begets the son. They're one, but the son has a mission. And we, we've called him the bridge builder before the Pontifex Maximus. But imagine if you were great at building a bridge and it's like the famous bridge to nowhere that was in the politics a long time ago. They, they, it was just a work thing of government pork and they built a bridge that didn't go anywhere. Jesus is not a bridge to nowhere. Jesus is the bridge to the Father. Mm-hmm. And that is all through Vatican II as well. Uh, I was just looking at chapter 6, just you know, preparing for this. Just uh, for our readers, or our listeners, sorry, uh, you should see the book that Dennis has uh, <laughs> when he's referencing this. It is tattered and torn because it's been used. There are tons of uh, post-it notes all over the the sides of the book, uh, the binding is almost off. So uh, this is a book that's been used for yeah, sure. Those documents are literally free online. You can get another one. <laughs> that, I think that's the actual very first printing. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah. So he's got a piece of paper that literally just fell out of, out of the book. Some yeah. pages. No binding. So, yeah. yeah, this is actually one of the first printings. It's, it's called the uh, Abbott Gallagher 
uh, translation, and I think it's right after the council, and it's a really, I really like this translation. It's kind of got a high mystical translation compared to some of the other ones. I didn't um, even know there were multiple translations of that. Uh, yeah, there are at least two. There's uh, this one. I forget what the other one is called. The Flannery, I think. Um, so it's good to look at the different translations. Mm-hmm. But, um, but here in chapter 6, it says, Just as Christ was sent to the Father, he also sent the apostles uh, and to bring us into the kingdom of his Father. And there's this beautiful language. You know, we're so used to calling God Father in the Christian tradition because we say our Father all the time. But think of all the history of religions in the world. God or the gods were pretty scary. They were untrustworthy. They were ready to throw lightning bolts at you. You know, you would never call Zeus Father in the sense we call God the Father. But the early ancient gods, people perceived as God wanted to use them. And when God was done with them, he threw them to the side. And we still have that preconceived idea that when we disappoint God, when we are broken, when we fall, we sin, God is done with us. And until we reconcile, then God will love us again. But it's the opposite. God died for our sin, not for our perfection. And there's some, you know, rigorous people out there who might say, oh, don't turn God into nicey-nice. And that's right. Mm-hmm. We want to say God is infinitely just, infinitely merciful, and mercy trumps the justice. So he's not going to say, I would do whatever you want. However, like a good parent, he's going to say, I love you. You know, if your kid had, you know, some bad habits, you would say, I love you. I want you to be better. Go in your room until you realize what you need mm-hmm. to change. And so that's discipline. But it's a discipline in love. I think many people are just afraid of God because he's, a, he's perceived as a threat. And um, the, the God who's a threat would not send his own son to die. And then you have this, you know, misconception that the Old Testament God is a God of um, discipline and you know you know rigorous ruling and then the god of the new testament it's like all love and everything's you know no. flowers and daisies that's the problem with cherry picking scripture especially if you mm-hmm. have a puritanical sense there's a lot of times where god disciplines israel actually the whole testament old testament is israel i want to love you please come to me and what do they do they run off and do something else they worship the golden calf He's like, all right you want to worship the golden calf fine i don't want you to do that i'm going to teach you how to recognize me listen 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 all the time Mm -hmm. ten commandments are love right don't worship false gods because that's not good for you and even that idea of discipline isn't a bad thing discipline simply means to teach and so all of christian history has been god teaching us how to receive the fullness of his love and this is right in the liturgy too i mean we are the liturgy guys we're not just god the father is nice guys the question is how do you get access to the father right so Jesus was walking around a long time ago. He who sees me sees the Father. So what? Well, we're not there. He's not walking around on earth in that physical body anymore. So just like all the other liturgical things, what was present in Christ is now present in the mysteries, mm-hmm. in the mysteries of the church, the sacraments of the church. So access to the Father through the mediatorship of the priest, in a sense, who's acting as Christ, who's the true bridge. So the Father. Father, can you give us some insight into that from your perspective um, through you know that mediation? Because it's, it's needed, like you said earlier. Without that, then it's nothing. Right, and so often people ask me, you know, why as priest, why can you forgive sins? Why can you celebrate mass? And the fact is, on the sheer fact of being a human being, I can't. It only comes from the fact that the very breath of God was given to the apostles, men who were ordained for 2,000 years, and a valid bishop with that breath of God ordained me. And the church teaches in Lumen Gentium, Vatican II, that that priest sits in persona Christi. So he actually becomes a person of Christ. This is very important because we claim in the sacraments, in the mass, something actually happens. Every sacrament is the invisible becoming visible. So the visible Christ shows up in the form of the priest and visibly takes bread and wine, changing it actually into God. It's not play acting, the invisible becoming visible through Christ actually present. And I think since Trent, you know, we were trying to figure out what our sacraments and the sort of puritanical strains of Protestantism were denying the real presence. I've said this before, but we kind of got stuck on the Eucharist is this kind of vitamin pill of spiritual life, which is in a way kind of right. And that's it. Oh, I get the Eucharist, a valid and licit matter and form. Boom, I receive this. I don't know how many people in the pews will say, this gets me access to the Father and the love. Even the Son says, everything I've received, I've received from the Father. Mm-hmm. And so we should be, I think, thinking that way too. Well, yeah, we talk about that pontifex. I mean, we keep coming back to that bridge, and, and um, we need access to that because it was um, kind of a miracle that we even gained access 
you know, in the first place. We weren't owed access. Um, it is a is a true and holy and uh, mysterious gift. Yeah, I was going to say, in fact, just last week we had ordinations at the diocese. And right after the guys got ordained, the end of the ceremony, right before the final blessing, they brought a kneeler out, the bishop knelt down and kissed the hands of the new priest. Why is that? Because the moment he was ordained, he received that indelible mark where he now has the hands of Jesus Christ. So when he says, I absolve you and moves his hand in the confessional, Christ's words, his hands. When he performs the mass, this is my body, Christ's hands, Christ's words. So even that bishop lowers himself and pays reverence to those new hands of God that have been created at that mass. Wow, that's beautiful. And for what end, right? So you go to confession, mm-hmm. your sins are forgiven. Oh, I've got the, the bad marks off the slate, it's all been cleaned. How come? So you can have access to the Father, right? Yes. Access to the riches of the Father, the glory of the Father, the, the sweet heart of the Father, mm-hmm. the, the paradise, which is God's own reality. Yeah, it's not therapeutic, it's, it's actually opening up the keys to mercy and walking into the presence of God. I was, you know, again, looking in Vatican II, and it mentions that the, the liturgy, singing the Liturgy of the Hours, as we do here at the Mundelein's Altar. Um, again, sometimes priests think of this as this duty thing. The church says, I have to do this. Or people say, oh, isn't it fun to do once in a while? But Vatican II says it's actually the very prayer which Christ addresses to the Father. And we get to do it, too. So the Eucharistic prayer is the prayer of Christ addressed to the Father, and the priest is the head, the people, and the members. But the, the uh, Liturgy of the Hours is that as well. You get to sing the glory of God. In, on earth. Typically, this doesn't happen unless you're dead, <laughs> except <laughs> your pre-death, your experience of your own heavenly future is coming to you by way of foretaste. And that glory is addressed to the Father through Christ. In the person of the priest, united with the mystical body in the pews. Right. And I talk about mystical body all the time because uh, there's still probably some confusion about the baptism, baptism of the laity or uh, the baptism of the uh, ordained. I mean, the priesthood of the ordained and the priesthood of the lady. But the priest has the headship, so you can take all the prayers and petitions of all the people. But the people in the pews offer as priests, but they only offer what they can offer, which is themselves or their family or whoever they have authority uh, over. And the priest is, is given authority over the whole parish. So there's a prayer in the Mass called the Collect. So this sort of collects up these prayers and petitions and gives them all to the Father. In a way, I think it's sort of like the how the priest actually collects up all the prayers and petitions of the people. This is what the high priest did in, in Jerusalem in the old days. They would bring all the prayers and petitions of the people into the Holy of Holies, this little room in the back of the temple, and only the high priest could go in there. And so he sort of gathered up all their stuff, kind of wore it in you know, like a spiritual backpack, and said, I'm going to bring this into the presence of God mm-hmm. the Father, and the, the earthly priest does that too. And And... We have this relationship with, you know, God the Father. Can you go into maybe a little bit why we call you Father as a priest? Is it because of all of these faculties that you were given? Yeah, definitely because of the faculties. And that priest, sitting in the person of Christ, truly does father these spiritual children. In the same sense that they called him Father Abraham, you know, the spiritual desert fathers, is because they were trying to bestow the very personhood, the parenthood of God as father to the people. And so the priest is meant to mimic, in a very real sense, of course, in the Mass, Jesus Christ asking the Father to give them, people of God, as children, father love. And so I, as a priest, want to mediate, with the love of Christ, father love to his children. And so then in that reverence, they recognize we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. We are the children, and who's helping us to learn the love of the Father? The priest. Therefore, Father. In the same sense, your own biological father, his entire role is to teach you the love of the parenthood, of the love between him and wife to you as children. Right. We talked before about on the chair, the cherubim episode about mm-hmm. fractal bodies, uh, which are oh yeah, you remember fractal bodies? Yeah, yeah. we we uh, like Russian dolls. Like they're they they start little and they get bigger, but they're they're the same, but they're larger. Right. If you had a triangle and you cut a diagonal, in the bottom left hand corner of the triangle had a, a diagonal line, made a small triangle within the big triangle, and then it goes up and up and up and up. The next level up incorporates the previous level mm-hmm. and then grows it. So we talked about 
the Pope has headship over the body of bishops. The bishops have headship over their priests. The priests have headship over the families in their parish. The families have headship parents over their children. And so one leads what, to the next. What do my children have head, headship over? Themselves to the, a certain degree. The cat. <laughs> but usually, uh, usually children don't know what's good for them, right? And so yeah. you have a father. Boy, like, is like that you. true. And so God the Father does this at the supreme level. He knows what's good for us better than we do. And he sends us this whole chain of shepherds to help us um, to help us do that and with that on that continued idea of father a true father always creates god the father in beginning getting beginning of time speaks words let there be light he creates let there be man he creates he always creates with his very words so then in the mass what does the priest do he speaks words and he creates the actual god of the universe on the altar so that's the epitome of his role as father in the mass, speaking words, and the actual living God being breathed into existence on the altar to go into you, his sons and daughters. Right. And you mentioned before the Old Testament, angry God in the mm-hmm. New Testament. Sort of yeah, angry God. Let you off the hook, God. But, you know, when you really look at it properly, all throughout the Old Testament, God's called Father. Or he's called the Father of the poor. He's called the Father uh, as Creator. Creator is considered a fatherhood role. He sort of begets stuff that wasn't there before and, and makes us uh, he's associated with taking care of the widow and the orphan this is kind of the fatherly role and so um, the catechism says this is a, a sign of God's intimacy with us and again I think we're in this legacy of the puritanical post-reformation stuff where God is unknowable untouchable unreachable scary ready to fry us you know we've talked about a few isms before Father Kyle and I talked about this at breakfast let's see we'll test you Jesse Jansenism oh man um, and Pelagianism. Yep, I don't know what any of those These are, are Kevin's least favorite isms of all the isms. Because it's a funny thing, you know, Kevin is youthful, but he was alive before the council. And this, like the culture shifted so much. Do you remember what each of those are? Any of those? No, I do not actually. Okay, well, Pelagianism is this idea that you have to work for your own salvation. Okay. So it's a product of how hard you try. And then um, this, Jansenism. Is that kind of like this whole faith and works thing? And we get that. We get that from the Protestants, like you, nothing you can do uh, can save you per se. Except often it's the other way around. Right. So you don't have to work. Where the Catholics have a higher do- respect for the work of your salvation, right. it's ultimately a gift from God. But the uh, the other ism at the time uh, in the 20th century, really in the 19th century as well, was Jansenism, which is you're not good enough. God is angry. He's waiting to be offended. The least little sin, not just God will be sorry for you that you're sinning, but that he's going to fry you. I'm so glad <laughs> that that fry is your butt. errant. So look at this noose, right? You have, you have to save yourself and you can't save yourself, right? And so it, it showed up in the culture of the church in, in the time, so that's what I'm told, by making people feel really crappy about themselves. You stink and you can't do anything about it unless you go to confession like every minute of the day. You can see how this would bring this notion that God is really ready to do you in and you you can't help yourself. That's kind of like that whole Catholic guilt thing. Well, right. And it's not life-giving. It's not life-giving at all. To constantly live in fear is not life-giving. Right. There's you a become scrupulous. Well, yeah, there's a difference between discipline and just kind of getting somebody to be fearful of God. <laughs> right. And then you combine it with mean nuns who hit you with sticks and tell you, you know, you're making the baby Jesus cry. It's like spitting in the chalice. <laughs> I mean, these are stories that sound funny to anybody born after the council because they sound unbelievable. But this is a lot of people's experience. Mm-hmm. God is a threat. The church is this instrument of the threat. And therefore, you should just turn around and leave the whole thing. That's why this to me is so important is to really understand God is love itself, mm-hmm. but he's not a pushover. At the same time, uh, he disciplines when necessary, but he is love itself. And that love is manifested for us in the liturgy with the priest acting his own son and offering ourselves to him so he can make us loved and better than we are. Yeah, and I like that a lot better. Makes me feel less guilty. Yeah, in fact, I would honestly say 90% of my priesthood, sitting down one-on-one, like spiritually directing people, is destroying the very precise idea, Dennis, you just said, is no, God is not out to get you. He's out to love you. And the entire Christian existence is you not, not you running around seeking God. Stop moving. Let God seek you. You are supposed to be found, right? God is not angry. And don't live in the, the guilt cycle of, I did this, so therefore I'm bad. God couldn't love me. God's going to destroy me. I better run and hide. This is what Adam and Eve did. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's so amazing when someone says, okay, I'm going to let God into this place of darkness and shame. And I'm going to say this to another person in the confessional or wherever, wherever it happens, hopefully in the confessional and to understand God. Right. Now, a lot of people don't like that because of the, after the council, it was, Hey, God's your buddy and you can do whatever you want. And God doesn't get it's kind of the other extreme, right? You go from the weird Pelagian, uh, Jansenism thing to the pure kind of uh, permissivism yeah. and then what does that do it drives the serious Catholics sometimes into the old Jansenism thing again or the old um, uh, Pelagianism and so we got to stay in the middle God is love itself his love is manifested in the liturgy when we fall he wants us to get up and the way he does it is how easy right go to confession say what you learned about yourself and say three Hail Marys it's not like climb a mountain and slit your wrists right and give blood to the some Aztec God who wants to destroy it it's super easy this is love this is God's love to get access to the heart of God well, you say it's easy, but I say it's still it's still difficult to wrap your mind around all of this. I mean, it, it really is. What I mean by easy is God doesn't ask a lot. He doesn't right. say go buy a goat. He, and, he could ask for a lot more. Let's just say slit, that. slit its throat, you know. And we always say the greatest access to God is the Mass. Everything else around us is a supplement to that moment, the source and summit of our life, which is Eucharist at Mass. Yes. And... This is another very cool thing mentioned before. It, at, in the liturgy, you get access to the life of the Trinity. Hmm. How crazy is that? Mystical. God, God <laughs> the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are talking to each other, saying, hey, Father, I love you. Son, I love you. You're great. I mean, think about the it's best. It's like eavesdropping. Well, except it's not just listening. It's participating. So when you say the words of Christ in the liturgy, you are saying those words to the Father, and then hopefully the Father speaks back, sends the Holy Spirit to, to enliven you to want to do this more, to love him, to love yourself, to love your neighbor. Like the life of the Trinity is perfect, right? They don't ever fight. Mm-hmm. They have no fallen um, concupiscence or anything like that, which is what we want. We want to be. So we practice that liturgically. That's a really amazing thing. God loves us enough to say, don't just go over there and sit in the corner and wait till I get you because you're bad. He said, come and speak to me. It, it makes me think of when I was a kid, my brothers would have their friends over and they'd play video games. And boy, I'd be really lucky if I got to sit in the room and watch them play video games. But what you guys are talking about would be as if they said, hey, you should also play, which would never have happened. And also my mm-hmm. brothers are not perfect. And even more than that, you get to play at the level of your per- of perfection, even mm-hmm. though you're not perfect mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Because Christ takes our prayer and offers it to the Father as if we were perfect. And so you had the most perfect video game experience ever, 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 even though you're fallen and you know you're not good at it. I am not good at video games because I never got a chance to play because my brothers always play. (laughs) So the question is, how do we play? How do we participate, become one with that moment spoken to the Father at Mass? That's really what we want to dive into of how we discover that. Right, and so some of it's obviously in the liturgy, we, we address prayers to the Father. We have sometimes images of God the Father. We sing the songs that the angels and saints are singing to God the Father in the Sanctus and, and other um, hymns of praise like the Gloria. And so, but the thing is, Christ does it. Colonel Ratzinger brought this up. The real big difference between Christianity and other religions is we don't have to worry if it's done perfectly. We should do it perfectly so that we experience it as perfectly as possible, but it's Christ's action. So even if we mess up, Christ's offering perfect praise to the Father, and we're receiving that grace uh, to the degree that we want it and are ready to receive it. And it's active participation, which comes out in the documents of Vatican II as well, that not just active in that we're physically moving or doing something, like I think some people think it is, but active in that we are, we are not just sitting there watching this happening, but we are, we are engaging our mind, body, and, and, mm-hmm. and soul in it as well. Right. And a limited participation for lay people. Your hand has a limited participation in what your mind directs your body to do, but it's real. It's not just cut off and sitting on the edge of the room. And so priests do something that everybody, the lay people don't do, but it's all a big body doing the right. same thing. And so how then do you, what do you put at the Mass? In fact, just at breakfast we were talking about this idea, and oh. I had mentioned that. Worship. Worship. Yeah, Tell my favorite worship. part of the Mass where we all kind of meet in the middle and then offer to the Father, is right after the homily, the priest washes his hands, prepares the altar, he then stands up and says, pray my brothers and sisters that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. And so the priest is saying, okay, I'm sacrificing myself, these gifts, the bread, the wine, these prayers, 
And what are you placing on the altar? So we're supposed to ask, okay, do I place my brokenness, my marriage that's kind of falling apart, the fact that I have this addiction, the fact that I'm so angry at my mother or my sibling, what am I placing on the altar? Because if we perfectly place things with Jesus Christ on the altar, sacrificed, knowing that when Christ takes it to the cross in the mass, it's then resurrected, we are then worshiping. Because what is actual worship? And so a couple months ago, I was praying over this, and I went to the etymology of worship, which is worth, ship. Worth meaning value, the value of a thing, and ship, literally to send or transport something, like a ship on water. Oh, like verb ship? Correct, yeah, exactly. No, okay, so yeah. Not I, like a friendship where you go on a boat with your friends. Right, but if I have a relationship that's a friendship, what do I send and transport? Friendly relations. And so oh. an actual friendship is one where I send and communicate to you my friendly affections. And so then actual worship is communicating what I perceive my value to be to God. So my value mm. right now is that brokenness. I have this addiction, I have this broken family, I have this broken love. I place that value of what I think on the altar. God the Father accepts it, I send it to him, and then what does he do? He sends and transports to us his very worth, his very value down to the altar from heaven. Christ is present, the actual God, then the priest from heaven, the sanctuary, hands that God the actual worth actual value of existence to you as person you receive it we consume god we call it the consummation of the mass the action of becoming one with god and then we get to the epitome of christianity divinization the action of becoming like god so real worship is the action of becoming like god by receiving his actual worth his value worship eucharistic prayer one what does it say yes by the hands of the holy angels to the altar on high, we give you this sacrifice, these offerings. Right, so we put bread and wine on the, on the altar, and we say, may your angel take this to your altar in heaven. Mm -hmm. Can this angel come down, bring it up to you so you can do your thing, and then bring it back? So this is kind of like an epiclesis or the sending of the Holy Spirit. But you can do the same thing with you, and Jesus is the bridge to that. So uh, you, I put me on the altar, I'm bread and wine. Send me back as the body of Christ. Send me back glorified as myself. Yeah, in fact, as we say, the priest prays over normal bread and wine, and those prayers make it literally become God. It transforms. So too, you're offering on the altar those prayers to be efficacious. We want the very personhood of you, your worth, to be transformed on that altar. So when you walk out of Mass, you are changed. Yeah. And the only way you're changed is not by observing. This is not a concert. We're not performing things. The only way you're trained, changed is by here's my worth as I perceive it, give me yours. And then only when you see the worth of God, his actual existence, do you see who you truly are at the Mass. This is what Vatican II says active participation is. Yes. So there's active participation in the externals of the right. Seeing, being starting to minister, fine, nothing wrong with that. But the real internal and most important active participation is offering yourself as a victim on the altar, which sounds bad, but it's actually great. I am who I am, broken and messed up. I give myself to you to lose myself and get myself back better. That's the essential thing and the way it happens is the mediatorship of Christ who brings us there. The way that happens sacramentally is the priest. Yeah, too often when we hear the word active or action, we think of movements. No, the actual action is internal. It's my very being I give to the Father. Yeah, and I think that's what will help people who have that, you know, question or, or you know, they say, why is the Mass so boring? Well, if you know these things and you've, if, you, if you know an active participation is truly like you guys have been explaining, then it's not boring at all. In fact, if you're not doing that, then you're missing out on this opportunity to really participate right. in this experience. If you're going anyway out of duty or sense sense of fear or sin, mm -hmm. you might as well do what you're supposed to do, which is get transformed by divine life. And if you're not going because you don't understand, this is a really good motivation rather than, oh, God's going to fry me if I don't go to mm -hmm. church. That, and does, I can, that doesn't work in our time. And know? I can honestly say that before working at the Liturgical Institute, these are things I've never even heard or nobody explained that to me. Nobody said, this is kind of what's happening when you go to Mass. I always thought it was just basic ritual where you go you do this thing and and obviously i you know, had a, a you know basic understanding of what the eucharistic what the eucharist was and what we were doing and that it was more than just 
a ritual, but that was kind of my basic understanding, and it didn't, didn't go beyond that until I started working here. Yeah, and with that, you think of any child, a kid comes home and he's been you know, made fun of by the other kids, if he goes to his room and cries and just closes a door and doesn't let dad inside, the dad can never come in and help the child, meaning the kid has to walk out, say, dad, today these kids made fun of me. The dad says, those are all lies, this is who you actually are. And then the kid discovers his worth because the father gave it to him. And that's what happens at mass. We can't go closed off, hiding ourselves in the door or just sitting like chewing gum, like we're waiting for something to impress us. No, open the door of your heart and give God, this is the brokenness. Show me the truth. And that's what mass is. You can only receive love with truth, truth with love, the epitome of love, the altar. And before Christ, there was this idea that God was was so far away and inaccessible. And so one of the biblical images in the Old Testament is God's on his throne or he's on a rock surrounded by the waters. And the waters or the waters of chaos are like you can't swim across a choppy sea without drowning. It's to like get the best moat ever. Well, right, full of alligators, all that <laughs> stuff. So what does Christ do? He, he's the bridge across from where we are to where God is. And if you just say, oh, there's a nice bridge. Okay, I've got a bridge. That's nice. Great. We're respecting the bridgeness. <laughs> but what you really want to do is walk across that bridge. Mm-hmm. And look at, you can look at the water and you say, it's not a threat. This bridge is not going to fall down. And then you walk over to the sort of paradise of the Father's heart. Right. Keep your eyes on the Father. In fact, two weeks ago, somebody asked me, what are you looking at, Father, during Mass? Is there something up on the ceiling? I'm like, I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to the Father, and so should you. You should be looking up to Him as you are at Mass, offering yourself. And we all know God hangs out around the ceiling area of right. the church. Yeah. Near, near the fire detector. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right <laughs> they call by, that the God spot in yeah, the church. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've been, I've been trying to think of analogies for this, for Mass and getting access to the Father. One of them I thought was, it, none of them really worked perfectly, but one was like a skin graft. You know, if you had to burn and you had a skin graft, it would, for a long time... I've am, I am, never ceased to be amazed by your <laughs> metaphors. Well, let here. me tell you first, <laughs> then you can see if you're still okay, amazed. good. At first, it's not yours, right? But then it grows on you, and then you go out in the sun and get a tan. Somebody else's skin is now getting a tan because you are carrying it into the sun. So we're joined to the mystical body, and you know Christ is sort of, we're the graft onto Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches, all this stuff. And then he takes us into the presence of the Father. He's like the son who, like, what happens to him happens to us because we're grafted onto him. The other one I thought of was like a train. Imagine you had a, like a train set around the Christmas tree and there was a little tunnel and the train goes around and around and it goes in the tunnel and something happens in the tunnel. There's like super duper Spider-Man x-rays and it comes out of the other side of the tunnel. A Spider-Man. It's oh. like more train, right? Like mm-hmm. you're saying. And then it goes around again and it goes through again and it goes through that same process again and it's more train. Then it goes around again and again and then eventually it's gone around so many times that it's the fullness of train. That's us at Mass. I go to Mass, put myself on the altar, take it to heaven, come back. A little better. Keep doing that till the day you die. And if, you're, if you do that enough and God's action is uh, on you enough, then when you get to the gates, St. Peter doesn't say, are you guilty of a mortal sin? What he says is, you're the fullness of yourself and you'll be happy in heaven because you wouldn't be happy in heaven if you're not the fullness mm-hmm. of yourself. Yeah, created in the image of God to become like God in the fullness of that mass and then eventually heaven right Mm -hmm. and the mortal sin is i won't go in the tunnel i refuse to let god glorify me and then you're not ready so uh we'd want to avoid sin certainly but precisely so that we can have access well this is like glory what you talk about all the time being formed and fashioned and you go through like the rock tumbler you know you put a bunch of rocks in the tumbler and then eventually they come out shiny and smooth did you have a rock tumbler as a child i did not but i do have a question about the skin graft thing because if somebody got my skin and they put it on their body it would sunburn or tan at a at a faster rate than the rest of their body so it might look weird but, you know, I actually had a friend who had a little skin cancer on her nose and she had a skin, her own skin graft. And at first she had this big red patch on her nose. She was very embarrassed about it. But eventually it just grew in. Now you can't even tell because it, it, it took the shape of the skin. Now nobody <laughs> knows. Oh. oh. Yeah. So after a while, it, you, your skin becomes Christ's skin. It's not just you stuck on with glue. You know, it's like the Eucharist. You, be, you become it instead mm-hmm. of it becomes you. It's like you graft onto Christ and you become Christ, and then that skin is taken to the light of the Father. Mm-hmm. It's a little creepy. This yeah, skin it's very. Thing. I told you, I, I knew know, where I this know. was going. But oh, I mean, we what, don't have better analogies, really. But what is it about the saints? What is it about John Paul II, Mother Teresa? Is they so decreased via the Mass 
that God the Father increased in them so much that when John Paul II, Mother Teresa, whoever it is, walks in a room, even the most farthest atheist goes, something's different about that guy. Yeah, that's true. Right? And so because he's got the love of the Father incarnate in him or in her, and that only happens via prayer, and then the epitome of it, that mass offering to the Father to become mm-hmm. like him. And then if you're walking, if you're a walking example of love, only the most hardened, hateful sinner will say, I don't like that, right? Someone who loves you, loves you. <laughs> you sweet, mm-hmm. it's delightful. They, they radiate love for you. Who, who doesn't want that? And then that, this is the real evangelistic model, I think, is if you are filled with divine life, getting it in the primary place with just the liturgy, because you know you should, get it from the Father through the Son by offering yourself as a victim, then you are a walking firebomb of love. This is how I think of Father Well, Catherine, Kyle. Grand, uh, Catherine of Siena said that if you are who God intended you to, you to be, you will set the world on fire. I just tweeted that three you days ago. Not. You did not. Providence. What is your, tw- did. What is your Twitter? Twitter handle? Yeah. Father Mano at Gmail. M-A-N-N-O. Mm-hmm. All right. F-A-T-H-E-R-F-R. Yep. Wait, your Twitter handle is Father Mano at Gmail? Yes. <laughs> That's my email. Father Mano is just my Twitter. Okay. All spelled out. <laughs> my Twitter handle is at Gmail. Uh, you can tweet all your Catholic stuff yeah. there. <laughs> so full circle. I was just thinking as you're talking about this moving forward, I was meditating recently on what happened in the upper room that the apostles went from cowards to, hey, we're not going to die for anything, to, yeah, kill us, crucify yeah. us, burn us alive. I do not know the man became... I will die for you. Right. right. It was the moment of the resurrected Christ showing up and breathing the Holy Spirit. And so we have to discern before Mass and during Mass. Holy Spirit, come to me. What is the most broken thing, the good, the bad parts of my existence that you need to guide to the altar of sacrifice to present to the Father? And that's where all the saints were made, was that Spirit communicating as they are Christ to God as Father. And we get that at confirmation. Mm-hmm. Right? That's like a little Pentecost for us mm-hmm. where those gifts are given. Pentecost. Yeah. You can see we could do this all day. We could do this all day. Um, I love to quote this one line from this book called The Mystery of the Temple uh, in the early 1960s. This is this line, that the holiness of God, no, God's presence is holy and confers holiness. God's love is loving and confers love. All you have to do is walk into it. It's like walking into a microwave oven. You can, when it's on, you get microwaved. As long as you're not wearing a protective yeah, suit. Yeah, but or some people fuse. walk into it like a revolving door and they say, well, I don't want any of that. And then well, that's right, because God won't force himself <laughs> on you. But right. basically, all we have to do is say, yes, Father, I want you to divinize me and then do pretty minimal activity, right. which is, you know, an hour a week or half hour a day. <laughs> Boom. God's love, God's love. His, but you got to get into his presence and you have to say yes. That, but that's it. Mm-hmm. That's all we have to do. And just last week, a cousin of mine redid all the flooring in his, in his entire home. And I said, wow, what a gift. How did you do that? You redid the flooring of your entire 2,000 square foot home. He said, yeah, my dad taught me. Growing up my entire life, we spent time over the summer flooring people's homes. So he became like his father. So we do at mass. We become like the father, you know? By doing what the Father does. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Well, uh, unfortunately, I think we have to cut this conversation short. Oh. Uh, but, Father, are you going to stay for a, a liturgy question? Are you going to help us answer a liturgy question? I will indeed. And remember, Twitter handle, Gmail. At Gmail. <laughs> Father Kyle Mano, at Gmail. Um, Mine is it, Pelagian and... <laughs> never mind. At AOL. <laughs> uh, Dennis is at Nevermind. Okay, you can find him there. But uh, I guess it's time for a liturgy question. Yes. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? 
All right, so we have um, uh, Father Kyle decided to stay with us to help answer a liturgy question. And uh, first of all, uh, shout out to Taste of Paris. If you've ever been to Mundelein, go there for breakfast. That's where uh, Father Kyle and, and DMAC went without me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not invited to the breakfast. That's right. And I left my wallet in the car. Yeah. He said, I gladly pay oh, you Tuesday I've done for that a before. croissant today. I've definitely. But left. this guy, Claude, came here from Paris. He's like French, French. Yeah, he so makes it's literally a croissants like they make in Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're That's very delicious. Delicious. I highly recommend the almond croissant. Oh, That's God. if you're ever in Mundelein. But anyway, so Claude, send us free croissants. No uh, one has sent us free anything, especially and for, pie crust. And for our, yeah, definitely send us crust uh, or Dennis. But for today's question, uh, Dennis asked uh, Father Kyle, "What is the most asked question that he gets from his?" parishioners at his parish in St. Charles, Illinois. And the question, I'm just going to surmise it, but is Mm -hmm. after the priest proclaims the gospel or the gospel introduction, we all do a little cross on our forehead, our lips and our heart. Mm-hmm. And the question that he most often gets is, why do we do that? So well, it was partly that, but also, what do we do? Yeah, people yeah. don't and even also, know we're making the sign of the cross. <laughs> do they make a sign of the cross, or they do this or that, or they don't know why? I was always doing a circle. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. But Well, I did it for a long time, and I didn't know you were supposed to actually say a little prayer internally about it, what you were doing. Yeah, I, I do it in my head, but I, that's just because I've heard you know uh, deacons or, or priests dictate very loudly when they do that. Yeah. So. so you're the priest father, you have a deacon, and he's ready to go up and proclaim the gospel, and he asks for your blessing. What do you say? I will put my hands above him, and I will say, may the Lord be in your heart and on your lips, that you may worthily proclaim his, go- his gospel. Gospel. Worthily and well. I messed it up. There's two different forms. May the Lord be in your heart and on your lips, and you may proclaim his gospel worthily and well. Right, I have Amen. The, I have the missile in front of me, and he doesn't. So it's oh, a test okay. for him. There's a different one between if you're giving it to the deacon or if you're saying it yourself, the priest. So right, oh. so the deacon's about to go proclaim the word of God. We want him to do it, not just read it well, but to have the Holy Spirit make these words live and go out in the mm-hmm. church. And you know, having your lips cleansed is a great biblical image. For, oh, with Jacob, he puts the coal on right, the angel. That, hap- that happens to Moses too. Okay. Right. So whenever someone has to proclaim the word of God as a prophet mm-hmm. perfectly. Oh, can you imagine if you had to like take a hot coal to a deacon's lips and be like, only if you do this first. Yeah. <laughs> be the next thing I have to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And then so, he comes over and says, the Lord be with you. And the people respond. And with your spirit. Right. And then they do the same thing that the well, deacon he does at that point. First he says a reading from the gospel of, let's say, Luke. Right. Mm-hmm. And then... We do the... Well, then he makes a sign on his forehead um, on the book and the forehead and his lips and his breast. And the, the line that's sort of interiorly said is, uh, may the Lord ever be on, in my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. Is that correct, Father? That's not official. That's just the pious thing to do. But that's what it's implying. The Christ in your mind. Oh, so it just it basically refers to what the priest is telling the deacon so or himself. distinction. If it's just the deacon, the priest says the word at the beginning, deacon walks over, proclaims, actions. If it's just a priest, he only says those words. So the words that Dennis just quoted are just the priest. Right, but what I'm saying is the people in the pews, uh, by pious custom, are not just supposed to make the signs on their Mm -hmm. body, but actually understand what those signs mean. So the cross on your head is, may the Lord be in my mind, and the song on the lips, on my lips, and then also in my heart. So you're, you're inviting this power of the Holy Spirit is going to come through the word into your mind, your lips, and your heart. And so yep. where, where does this say, where does it say this in, the, I guess, the germ? The general instruction of the Roman Missal. It's a little tricky, actually. When you look in one place, it just says the deacon does it. You look in another place, it says just the deacon does it. So we had, Chris isn't here today, but I had to call him. I, it's like the bat phone to Chris's office. Oh, yeah. You know, what, like the, what signal do you throw up? The like? Kavum Liturgicum. <laughs> the liturgical cave. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have a red phone. Well, for martyrs, I have a red phone. Ordinary time, I have a green phone. And I call him. Oh, no. <laughs> he tells me the answer. So it's the general instruction of the Roman Missal number 134, which is this little hidden thing where it says the, the deacon does this, the sign on his head and lips and heart and the people do as well that's all it says the people do it as well yeah so it's basically saying the word of god that is going to proclaim the actual incarnate word let it sink into my mind my intellect let it be on my lips so i can profess it to people i meet and then let it resonate in my heart to actually transform me 
That's the intention we want to have when we're making the sign of the cross on our forehead, lips, and our breast. I guess that makes a lot of sense. Right. And when we talk about sign of the cross, it's not a whole forehead to the belly, side chest, forehead. it's a little cross, like one of the little plus-shaped crosses, like mm-hmm. uh, when you get a blessing. Like an ash cross. Yeah, exactly. On your mind, on your lips, and in your heart. And, you know, the whole thing about going up for the gospel is often there's a procession, you know, in a well-developed liturgy. So the gospel is Christ, you know, present in the word, and he comes in with a parade, in a sense, you know, somebody on either side of him, maybe the incense. Maybe there's a donkey. Uh, well, depends yeah, on the day. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, okay. only, only every other St. Francis's day, maybe. Yeah, but not on not not in the normal. Mitzvah. I went to a Palm Sunday Mass in Honduras, and they brought in a real donkey down the aisle. Really? With a statue of Jesus. Was on it on it. Palm Sunday? Yeah, it was on oh, Palm. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that would make that makes a little more. Yeah, sense. Yeah, but I've never seen a real donkey process in in any liturgy except for in Honduras. On was Palm that licit and cool? I probably. It, I don't know. Was it cool? It yeah. was definitely cool. Yeah. Right. But not less it really externalizes is it. it. Okay. <laughs> well, we don't know about the enculturation of the liturgy in Honduras, I guess. I don't know. That's true. But, but anyway. Another podcast. It is. If you want to know, is the scripture Christ or is it just some old dude writing me a letter? You get it very clearly. He shows up like the king with incense in front of him. Then incense is always a sign of God's presence. And the light, the candle, and the, the deacon wants to be Christ. So he says, may I, and the priest prays for the deacon, may you basically be Christ's words to people. Cleanse your lips, your mind, your heart, so that this all can happen. And then he says, the Lord be with you. And you say, with your spirit. And then we do the same things. Can we hear it and know it and love it and proclaim it when we leave? Well, I hope that answers your question, most parishioners at St. Charles Parish, mm-hmm. where Father St. Patrick's St. Patrick's in St. Charles of the Joliet Rockford Diocese. Not Joliet oh, right, Rockford. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point is, let's call you, them all Rudiger. You can tweet yeah. Father Kyle at Rudiger. Gmail. Rudiger so one, Rudiger two, <laughs> Rudiger three, Rudiger four, Rudiger, Rudiger five. It's like George Foreman. Oh yeah, George. All George the Georges. one, George two. Yeah. And do all you your, know what his daughter's name was? Georgette, Georgina, Georgina. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> so all your parishioners are Rudiger to me, Father Kyle. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming in today, and thank you for helping us answer that question. And if any of our other listeners want to ask us a liturgy question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. It's also the Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> at questions at gmail. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.